Welcome to Christian Life Academy. We're working our way through our doctrine, which is a statement of faith that we use the second, the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession as our statement of faith. And so we're working through it in that order, and we are in chapter one uh, of the scriptures. So obviously we've talked about it before. I'll just reiterate it one more time. The importance of the scriptures and our ability to trust in them as God's word uh, is essential to the rest of the doctrines. We can't believe anything that the, that, that the scriptures tell us about God, about redemption, about any of those things, if we don't believe the scriptures. So we have to trust the scriptures. And this is why, as we work our way through these issues, that it is so important that we recognize that any challenges to the sufficiency of scripture, to what is the scripture, to the canonicity of the scripture, to the authority of the scripture, to uh, the translations of the scripture. All of those things are critical. They're critical. Now, this has not been the position of many churches today. And it's not, to, I don't want to say today, let's say in the modern age, where everything is questioned. Where the emerging church movement's all gone all the way to the point of saying, you can believe whatever you want to believe because it's personal for you. Well, what if you say, I believe you're wrong? Well, you can, you can believe anything you want except for that, right? Obviously, that makes zero sense, does it? doesn't it? I mean, if there's any reality to anything, it can't be that everybody can have their opinion, opinion of everything and it's all correct. It's impossible. It has to be that there are some things that are correct and some things that are incorrect. It has to be. You don't, none of us live life with this belief that anything you want to be true is true. True more than any other area of life for the Scriptures. If we cannot depend on the veracity of Scriptures as the true Word of God, it is not good for us in anything. So as we study through these things, pay attention to the implications of these statements. Even in 1689, 16, eight, are you, this is a while ago, are you with me on this? They recognized the importance of these statements as how, and how important they were. How important it was that the Bible was translated accurately. How important it was that the canon of Scripture was the canon of Scripture, that you could not just add to it. Now, they had seen all these challenges to these doctrines, through the Roman Catholic Church. Still true for us. But now today, that's much more diverse, with much more false religions coming up, challenging the veracity of Scripture. Seeking to redefine it. So this is important stuff. It's important for you. It's important for the church, but it's important for you. So keep that in mind as we work our way through. Now, we're in a section talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, which is paragraph 6, and we have been working through that paragraph. This is where we left off. We're actually in the last, kind of the last section um, of the qualifications of its sufficiency. So the last time we talked about the implications of its sufficiency, and now we're going to move on to the qualifications of its sufficiency. So this does mention, the confession does mention, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what the confession said. Nevertheless, 
we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God. So what are they talking about? We acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God. Well, the Holy Spirit illuminates us to the truths evident in natural revelation, as well as those contained in special revelation. Now, you remember what's special revelation? Anybody remember? It's the Scriptures, chapter 1, the Scriptures. And what is natural revelation? Creation. I was going like this, like this building isn't creation. But at any rate, natural revelation is creation. So the, the point is, the Holy Spirit illuminates us to both truths through the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, does everyone have the indwelling of the Spirit? No, no, everyone, unbelievers do not have the indwelling of the Spirit, right? So, they do not have the Spirit to tell them with clarity that we get of the truths that we see in nature. Now, have you ever known anybody who says there must be a God when they look at creation? Yes, and the Bible tells us that. That that's in man. Man knows that this is, there is this truth, but it's not as clear as it is to believers because the working of the Spirit helps to clarify to us. Now, I'll probably steal my own thunder if I don't just shut up and read the slide. All right. It is not illumination for the entirety of existence, but provides the principles of living that God demands we obey. So you can't, you can't say that the Spirit illuminated you to how to fix the carburetor on your tractor. All right, the Spirit did not illuminate you to that. Did God possibly help you by allowing things to go the right way as part of his plan? Yes. And sometimes does God thwart you by allowing things not to go the way that you planned? Yes, that could happen both ways. But the point is, the illumination of the Spirit is where, God, where the Holy Spirit is illuminating us to the things that the Scriptures deal with, and that is the principles of living that God demands we obey. Right? So how can the Spirit guide you when you're working on the said carburetor of said tractor? Maybe that your anger keeps in check. Right? Maybe that you have more patience along the way. That could be the illumination of the Spirit. And that's just living. Right? doesn't matter if it's a tractor or not. It is, so don't get hung up on the tractor. Somebody's like, well, what kind of tractor is it? Because that might depend on how angry I get. No, let that go. Illumination guides our way while the scriptures ensure we are truly illuminated and not following our own will or desires. So, why do we have special revelation? Now, we already covered this. This was in earlier paragraph in this chapter. We have the scripture because our illumination is not perfect. We still live in corrupt flesh. We still have our own will. We still have our own pride. We still have our own problems. So we cannot perfectly determine what God says to us about how to live based on nature and the illumination. We need it spelled out. That's why we have the scriptures. Now, if you think, well, I don't know. I mean, do we really need it spelled out? Okay, well, think about it this way. We have the scriptures, right? We have the scriptures. And yet, there are people who don't agree with everything in the scriptures like the way you do. Even with the illumination of the Spirit, even with it written down, there are still those who differ in what we believe. Right? So even with it written down in special revelation, we still have our human intellect here, which gets in the way. 
which gets in the way. So the best we can do, the best we can hope for, is to let the Spirit illuminate us to the truths of the Word, of word of God, and to be gracious toward those who don't hold the same belief, the same position. Why? Well, we could be wrong. We could, right? We, you could be wrong. They could be right. Does that make sense? All right. And the whole point, of course, is that the illumination of the Holy Spirit is helped to guide us. So they're not following our own will or desires. Do we always perfectly follow the Spirit's illumination? No. No, we don't. But that's the point. That's why it's there. That's why it happens. All right. As to, the sancti as to sanctified common sense. So we call it that, sanctified common sense. That is not a, scripture, a word taken or a phrase taken out of scriptures. We refer to it as that. They called it Christian prudence. That's what they called it. And the confession says, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence. Now, Christian prudence means sanctified common sense. The illumination of the Spirit does not negate the necessity of common sense. Look, if you don't apply common sense, right, and the Spirit is leading you, you could go down the wrong path. Why? Because you can't perfectly understand the Spirit. That's the reason. Does that make sense? Now, you could probably make an argument, and I would give in and agree with you on this argument. <laughs> so now I'm kind of arguing against myself. Kind of weird. Any rate, that if we're truly not sinning, if we're truly not sinning, and we're following the leading of the Spirit, common sense is less necessary. Are you with me on this? If we're not sinning, and we're following the leading of the Spirit, even though we could disagree with somebody, we're probably not sinning. But that doesn't mean that we're doing the best thing. That's where the Christian prudence comes in. The common sense comes in. Are you with me on this? So in other words, if we say, well, I think that we should just take all the offerings and put an open bucket in the foyer and just let everybody throw all their, their tithes and offerings into the open bucket. And if somebody has a need, you know, we want to be meeting their needs, they could just take it out of the bucket. Right? Okay, well, that's not sin, but that's not common sense. Right? That would be trusting that everyone else isn't sinning either. <laughs> that they weren't taking more than they needed because, you know what, they need a new flat screen. Or whatever. Natural reason is assumed for the believer. Particularly because the Spirit can guide us in our common sense. So the assumption is, is that the believers, believers will have Christian prudence. Christian prudence will guide us. Common sense will guide us. Now, if you don't have common sense, that's more difficult. That's more difficult. So that's why sometimes you should take a step back from what you're doing and evaluate what you're doing from, try, from an outside perspective. That's, that's I mean... Look, if you, you've, I'm sure you've all tried to do that before, right? Especially when you're trying to make a decision about something. You kind of try to put yourself in the third person and look at the situation to decide, you know, if you should do this or that, right? And that's good because that's easier to see what the common sense approach would be. 
Does that make sense? Now let me give you a good example from my work where it's easy to not step back and look at it from a common sense approach, okay? So I know this is hard to believe, but sometimes in IT, in dealing with computers, it's not easy to fix. There's something wrong that is difficult to deal with. So if we have a person at their desktop and they're having a problem where their PC is not responding correctly, whether it's software, whether it's hardware, you know, a printer problem, or they can't do something on the web correctly, or when they try to download files they don't save, or whatever, some kind of a, you know, problem, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is. And we start working on the problem. Now this is the way that this always begins. It should be simple. <laughs> okay? It should be simple. And honestly, probably, I don't know, I don't know what you'd say, Daniel. A third of the time, it's user error, All right? Probably a third of the time. And then probably another third of the time, it's fixed by restarting or clearing the cookies from a browser. This is, I'm giving you the, don't publish this part. No, I'm just kidding. Just giving away the secrets of IT. Usually, that's what, it's like a third of the time, you got to watch the user, see what they do. Oh, they're doing something wrong. You correct it. So, and they, they forgot, whatever it was. The other third of the time, restarting, trying it again, fixes it. It's surprising how many people don't go to that immediately. Like, it, let me give you another hint. If your car starts having a problem, shut it off, wait a couple minutes, start again. It resets. Are you with me on this? If your air conditioner goes out, shut it off, wait a few minutes, turn it back on. This is what happens when the guys come out to fix stuff with you and they're like, it's working fine. I don't know what happened, it wasn't working. Turn it off, turn it back on. This happens a lot. Things get hung up, things get frozen, things get seized. You start it back up, it goes. So this happens with the computers. But there's a third of the time where that's not the case. There's something else wrong. Now, here's how this goes. We start working on the problem, right? And working on it, and we try it. And, well, that didn't make a difference, didn't make a difference, didn't make a difference, didn't make a difference. We got a couple of techniques we use. Can't tell you those because I'll be out of business. Then we go to, all right, well, now we're going to try to do this. Now we're going to try to do that, right? So we work on different things. Before you know it, it's been an hour, okay? Now, we think, feel like we're almost there, like it's, it's improving. So we keep working on it. Now it's been two hours. Now here's the problem. At our rate, there's not going to be very much longer when it's cheaper to buy a new PC. You see what I'm talking about? Because PCs aren't that expensive. Or factory default the PC and load it up again, which will take an hour. So it's hard sometimes when you're in an issue, when you're in the situation, to step out and look at the big picture. Should we actually spend more time trying to fix this? I mean, it could be fixed in the next 30 seconds. Or we could be spending more time to try to fix this than it would be to replace it, and we still have spent that time. Do you see what I mean? Now, does that mean then that when we have a problem, the first thing we're to do is factory default the PC? No. Why? Well, because that's going to take time. And maybe the problem was something we could fix very quickly. Are you with me on this? So that sometimes you're in the middle of it, you got to step back. Now, that's an example from the IT world. Maybe more information about IT troubleshooting than you wanted to know. But my point is, is that this is true for all of life. Where we have an issue we're dealing with, a problem we're dealing with, and we have to step back from that problem and look at it and make sure that we're using common sense. Now, we all intend to use common sense, and we think we're making good decisions as we're going through an issue, but sometimes we don't. What you really don't want to have happen is for you to realize that a week later. I probably should have just done this. 
I probably should have just said this. I probably should have let that go. We do stuff, we do, we do things we shouldn't do, and then soon enough, we're into it really deep. Does this ever happen to anybody else? You're all looking at me like, I don't even know what he's talking about right now. You should be recognizing that this happens to you all the time. Where sometimes it just makes sense to step back. And you know, sometimes when you step back and you do that, it's, you know why it's hard? I mean, you all know this. It's hard because it takes humility. That's the issue. It takes humility to step back and look at this thing and see if you're doing the wrong thing. Am I handling the situation with this person correctly? Am I considering this issue that I'm having in my relationship with somebody correctly? I mean, it's really easy to justify your actions because you took them. You think that they're right. You thought they were right. Sometimes they're not right. Or there might have been a better way to handle it, right? Not that you sinned, but there might have been a better way to handle it. Usually, by the way, I'll give you the common sense approach to this, it's by being gracious. That's usually better. No matter what, that's usually better. Well, yeah, but what if I do that, then that person's going to think, or they're going to do this, or they're going to do that. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Has anyone else seen situations where you really wanted to do something or say something, and you didn't do or say what you were thinking, and then all of a sudden something happened that you totally didn't expect, and that situation resolved itself without you saying anything? Have you been there for that before? I have so many times. It's like, whew, I didn't see that one coming. I'm so glad I didn't say anything. Because, man, God just took care of that. Just took care of it. Happens all the time. That was using your sanctified common sense. It doesn't make sense for me to jump in and do that. Now, you could say, well, maybe it was more the leading of the Spirit. Okay, I'll give you that. Maybe it was. But we still have to have sanctified common sense. We still have to have Christian prudence. We still have to have this natural ability to examine the situation and make a decision based on that. You can't totally trust your mind and your heart to make the right decision every time. Why? You still have sin in you. You're not going to think through everything perfectly. You need the illumination of the Spirit, and you need Christian prudence. You need both. All right, <clears throat> paragraph seven. Can you believe it? We're at paragraph seven. We're moving along. It's going to slow down after eight. Anyway, <laughs> all right. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another, or another, or other, that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use, of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. All right, so this is a pretty clear, I think, <laughs> I don't, am I allowed to use that when I describe this paragraph considering it's the clarity of Scripture? It's a pretty clear explanation that the Scriptures are not clear to everybody in every aspect, but salvation is clear enough for everyone. That's the, we can move to the next paragraph. That's what it's saying. Now, we should understand that naturally, Common sense, we should understand that. But it had to be said because that's not what the position of some other churches was. Right? It was that everyone can't understand the Scripture properly, so we must tell them what the Scriptures say and mean. They shouldn't read it. They shouldn't have it in their hands. 
Not just true for the Roman Catholic Church. Other churches too. All right. So we start out with its qualification for the clarity of scriptures. Well, that's the part that just says, all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, not alike clear unto all. Well, obviously we would say that right off the fact the Bible is clear. The clarity of scripture are part of its sufficiency. Without clarity, it could not be sufficient. In other words, how is man thoroughly furnished if he can't understand the scripture? The scriptures tell us man is thoroughly furnished. Well, how can he be if he can't understand the scripture? How can it produce conviction if it is not clear? Right? So if the scriptures are like, well, you know, I read the scripture, I don't understand a thing it says. Well, if it's not clear, how can you, be conv- how can you know how you should live? How can someone know they're a sinner? So we have some verses here. Again, not part of your homework because these are extra bonus verses. So I will read them. <clears throat> Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 2 Peter 1, 19. We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Proverbs 6, 22 and 23. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That's a good verse. You don't hear that one too often. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea, that thou should say, Who, will, who shall go over to the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. The scriptures, I'm sorry, this is not intended to limit the clarity to a few simple gospel truths. This statement that they're making is not intended to say that these few basic gospel truths, those are clear, but everything else isn't clear. No. It includes central duties of Christian life. And we see this in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter ye into the, at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be with which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The scriptures tell us how to live. They tell us how to behave. It's not a, uh, it's not a mystery. Now, knowing, though, what the next part of the paragraph said. And this is that the Bible is not equally clear in all its parts. Now, let's, let's, I'm going to read this to you first, because this is a footnote, even though you read it in your, in your homework. 2 Peter 3.16, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which, is, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So Peter explains that some parts of Paul's writings are hard to understand. Some are hard to understand. Only some things are hard, though. The untaught and the unstable distort these things. So they find the things that they don't understand and try to distort those, 
and usually, obviously, it's to make is to try to discredit the scripture. But there's other truths that they understand, right? Like love your neighbor as yourself. What's that called in the world? The what rule? The golden rule. The golden rule. Is that a truth that was first in scriptures? It is. It is. And they understand it. They get it. This is one example. Inclusion of some difficult parts does not negate the practical sufficiency and clarity for its redemptive purposes. In other words, because there's some parts of scripture that are hard to understand, that are difficult to grapple with what the truth of this matter is or what this is saying in this particular passage, that does not negate the clarity of other parts of Scripture. Right? Does that make sense? Like, you can't read... All right. So, I don't want to go too far down this path because that's going to lead us to an entirely different discussion, but we say something in the Apostles' Creed. Christ died. He descended into hell. He rose again on the third day, right? What does that mean, he descended into hell? Now, without going too far, Brant's got a big smile on his face. He's like, oh, let's see where he goes with this one. <laughs> All right, so we actually did cover this in the confession, because it's covered in the confession. But if you recall, there's another verse, a passage that tells us that Christ preached the gospel to those in prison since Noah. Remember this? What exactly does that mean? Is that a special group? Is that not a special group? Well, I'm glad you wondered that, but you'll have to wait and see what happens when we eventually get around to preaching about that. But no, we're not going to talk about that now. My point is, is that that, is, that in its, on its face is not super easy to understand. Right? Now, I think you could make the argument that it is pretty easy to explain, but it's not easy for everyone to understand that and grapple with that. Right? It's not like just reading and you're like, what? What happened here? What's going on? They're already in hell. Huh? Well, we're just keep stop right there. My point is, is that it's one of those things that you read, and it's not super clear what that means, what it's talking about there, right? But that's not the same. Or should we even bring up eschatology? Look, there's a lot of opinions about what's going to happen that vary greatly. I saw a discussion video between R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur about eschatology. They did not hold the same positions or the same views. Right? Now, they didn't argue about it. They didn't argue. They just talked about their positions, what they believed. You understand what I'm saying? But look, there's definitely, you're going to have a hard, like, you, you have to think because you think this, and this person over here, this other believer, thinks this, and then you can say, well, look at all these scriptures, and he can say, well, look at all these scriptures. Right? Is it perfectly clear? Now, is there a place in Scripture, by the way, where we have a complete list, exactly what's going to happen, that coincides with the rest of the Scriptures about the end times? Nope. There isn't. And this is the problem. Because that's complex and hard to grapple with and difficult to see perfectly clearly what it is, does not mean that all the scripture is that way. And it certainly does not mean that the plan of salvation is not clear. Depending on who somebody is, they're the passage of scripture that speaks to them 
in explaining the gospel. Look, Nicodemus, very learned man, asked Christ. Christ gave him an answer that he would understand. Does everybody understand that? No. No. Now, he made it pretty simple. Nicodemus asked questions. He didn't understand. Wait, what are you saying? Can a man enter into the womb a second time to be born again? No. He explains it in words he understood. But everybody's not going to respond to John 3. But they might to Romans. You understand what I'm saying? There are portions of Scripture that very clearly explain the gospel. <clears throat> the Bible is not equally clear to all. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Let me read that to you. You heard it. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Think about what that passage says. It says that Scriptures are clear enough for a child to understand them enough for salvation. It says that from a child you understood this unto salvation. From a child literally means from an infant. From an infant. Now, it's clearly hyperbole, right? Would Joel Shepard understand, if you quoted him scripture, what that means? No. But it does indicate that when Timothy knew anything, he could also know the scriptures. He could also know the scriptures. This, we didn't define a child at 18, at 16, at 13, It was clear enough for them to understand. Don't forget, many of you, this, you fall into this category. Children understand and acknowledge salvation much easier than we do. Why? We put a lot of stuff in the way. Children, they just accept it. How does Christ say you're to come to him? With childlike faith. Childlike faith. Why? Kids trust. They just trust. Oh, that's the way it is. Okay. That's the way it is. Right? All right. <clears throat> it's articulation. Paragraph 7. Continuing on. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation, are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned, in a due use of ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. Well, first of all, our duty on any issues of faith and life will be clearly and sufficiently revealed in Scripture. That's what this is saying. Anything that we need to do in life that's a duty to God will be revealed in Scripture. Number two, the perfection of Scriptures must eliminate our skepticism with regard to the meaning of a particular passage. The perfection of scriptures must eliminate our skepticism with regard to the meaning of a particular passage. So you say, well, I don't know. Christ preached to those in prison since before the flood? Nah, that didn't happen. 
Well, the Bible says it did. The Bible says it does. Our skepticism can't override it, right? The scriptures are perfect. Now, here, think about this. That's only your interpretation. Or, great men of God have differences. Have you heard these before? Are you guilty of saying these before? Hmm. Those imply the insufficiency and obscurity of the scriptures. It's a denial of the perfection and embracing the supremacy of man. In other words, if learned men, if great men of God have differences, well, that's because the scripture just isn't clear. The scriptures are as clear as God wants them to be. Woe be for us to say the scriptures aren't clear enough on an issue. Really? So God should have done a better job on that? I mean, think of the implications of that. That's one of those step back. Did I say that? Yeah, okay, that wasn't really, that doesn't make sense what I said, because that would imply that the scriptures are not sufficient. They didn't explain it. They're obscure. Man is a better judge. Ooh. This belief makes the assertion that when God spoke, he mumbled as if God did not speak clear enough in his word for us to understand it. That's what this assertion says. We can't know really what's going to, you know. We know exactly what God wants us to know. We know exactly what God wants. And look at, if there's two views by great men of God on an issue, one of them's wrong. Can we agree with that? One is wrong. Which one? Not sure. Depends on the issue. I can tell you. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. Right? First thing to do is don't get hung up on that PC for three hours. Step back. Why does this matter? What, what, if this, there's some obscure part of Scripture that I don't understand, why am I dwelling on that? Well, that's a good question. And you say, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we understand every part of Scripture? No. No. Peter said there's some parts of Paul's writings that he didn't understand. Peter. The Apostle. You with me? Peter the Apostle. You're with me on this, right? Since almost the very beginning, with Christ. Did he understand everything perfectly? No. Did all the Apostles? Did any of the Apostles understand everything perfectly? No. How do we know? Lots of examples. Lots. What's the what's the easy one I go to all the time? Anybody know? Mount of Olives. Christ ascends. God has to send an angel to wake him up, snap him out of it. Why? They're waiting for him to come back. They're sitting there waiting for him to return. They think he's going to return right then. And we're debating when he's going to return. That wasn't important. The angel came back and said, go and do as he's told you to do. You know why? That was important. That was what was important. Go do what he said. He'll come back when he's going to come back. The source of errors in faith and life is sin. Sinners can make mistakes and have blind spots that cause them 
to misunderstand or misrepresent the scriptures. It is not because God was not clear. Any suggestion otherwise is to impugn the perfection of God. Now, it's completely understandable if a pastor says, here is this passage of scripture, they're working through the, the, the book, and they get to this passage, and they say, here is a passage that everyone does not agree on. It's not very clear. It's going to happen this morning. Okay, there you go. So we read those things, and we say, okay, this is on... I don't know, I can't remember if we're at this. I, we might be at this. Giants? Okay, so I, I was thinking, I was, when I was reading ahead, I was like, here we go. All right, so there's giants. The sons of God married the daughters of men. And there were giants in the land, right? This is going to be the passage. We're going to cover it this morning. Now, it's complete. Now, okay, we did not, you can tell just now, we did not work this out ahead of time. All right? So hopefully I'm not going to say something that Brant's going to go up there and counterdict. But here's what he should say. Here's what he should say. Right? He may not say this. Here's what he should say. He should say, everyone doesn't agree. Everyone doesn't agree on this, right? But then he could say, here's what I believe this means. Right? And he could use scripture. He could quote other people. But the honesty is that he says, this is what I believe this means. Right? Because that particular passage is a little bit hard to understand. And the point is, in the end, that is not the focus of the story. The focus of what man was doing before the flood is not about giants. Okay? It's not. Now, were there giants? Yes. How do we know? The Bible says so, that's how we know, but that's not the only reason we know. If the Bible said it, that's enough. It's because there's been tens of thousands of skeletons found of giants. We see a reference to this when David writes about a king that he was fighting against. You remember this? It was the reference to how big his bed was. Does anybody remember this? How big was it? Twelve feet. Good answer. Twelve feet. His bed was twelve. Not because he had a California king. It was 12 feet long because he was a giant. Goliath was a giant. He was not a normal height. He was a giant. Were there giants? There were. The scriptures talks about it many times. Skeletons found many times. Now, you don't hear that talked about much, do you? Why? Because that flies in face of evolution. Man was bigger and now he's smaller? That doesn't work. Just like any technology in ancient days. That can't be true. Because man's getting smarter. Right? That's what evolution says. Man's evolving. He's getting smarter. What about the pyramids? Must be aliens. Really, that's the answer. They cannot explain the pyramids. And it can't be because man was smarter then. And so the answer is, it must be aliens. You know what they're saying? It's an intelligence outside of our earth. How does man exist? Even Richard Dawkins has now succumbed to this. They cannot explain how it's possible for man to develop the way that he has from evolution. So what do they say now? Man was seeded. On, the beginnings of man were planted on the earth. By who? Aliens. Well, Richard, you're almost there. You're getting closer. 
there was an intelligence that created man, but it wasn't aliens. At any rate, that was kind of a three-quarter freebie, I think, right there. All right. The source of errors is faith, and faith in life is sin. So when we see men disagree, men of God, at some point, it's sin. At some point, it's sin. See, if they say, look, this is what I believe this means, this is what I believe this means, no sin. That's humility, right? I don't have all the answers. I'm going to say the way that I believe that it, that it is. Now, all right, so I'm going to, like, let Brantz off the hook a little bit right here. So if Brantz does not say, I can't explain this 100%, but this is what I believe, if he doesn't say that, but he just explains what he believes without saying that, that doesn't mean that he intentionally sinned. Are you with me on that? Because you could go to him afterwards and say, I'm not really clear on that. Because I see this and this and this, and that doesn't seem to match with that. And then he could say, yeah, I should have said that I believe that this is the case, but it's not ironclad. Are you, are you with me? Right? Now, he may, not, he may not need to say that. He may forget. So don't think just because somebody says they take some part of Scripture which you don't think is very clear, maybe they don't even think is very clear, and they give you an ironclad, this is what it means, that they mean this is what it means. Do you see? It could be that they mean this is what I believe it means. Right? Now let me give you a good example. Get out of the Brant's neighborhood. The Antichrist. I know who he is. I don't want to tell you. I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. I think I know who he is. But I can't give you a name. Because I don't know a name. The argument that I've heard is the best I've heard. I believe he's probably correct. But his statement was, is that this appears to be the Antichrist. John MacArthur. This appears to be who the Antichrist will be. He makes a very convincing, compelling argument. And it's the Mahdi in the Quran. The Messiah of the Muslims. Interestingly enough, the Quran and all the things that it describes the Mahdi is going to do matches what the scriptures say the Antichrist is going to do. Almost like they got the idea someplace. Pretty convincing. When the 1689 was written, they believed they knew who it was very clearly. Who was it? It was the Pope. They didn't say, right? They didn't specify which particular Pope. But they believed it was the Pope. Now, they actually referred to him as Antichrist, current. Not like the future, some pope in the future is going to be the Antichrist. They referred to the pope as Antichrist. Now you remember the scriptures actually tell us there are many Antichrists in the world today. Not necessarily the Antichrist that's identified in, in Revelation. But the spirit of Antichrist, that's what the scriptures tell us. The spirit of Antichrist was alive then, still alive today. Now, John MacArthur does not get up there and say, look, here's who this is. This is going to be this guy. He's going to be a Muslim. He's going to come from this area. They're going to claim he was a virgin born. All these things, right? He is going to be, well, 
without going through that whole message. He makes some really compelling arguments that that's the case. But his arguments are all, this is who the Muslims believe their Messiah is. And then as he goes through it, he shows the scriptures that all completely match to this being the Antichrist. And he says, I believe this is who will be the Antichrist. Could he be wrong? Yes. Were the people who wrote the 1689, were they wrong? Is it a pope? Could they have been wrong? They could have been wrong. Look, we don't know if they're wrong yet, right? We don't know that. But we do know that as long as we're saying this is who we believe it is, that we're actually interjecting in our human ability to be wrong. Are you with me on this? We can't say, the scriptures say this, and I read this special code where if you take all these letters and you put them in a certain order, then it converts them to numbers, and through all this numbers, I got the Social Security of the Antichrist. I just combined a whole bunch of heresies right there. But you understand. We have to say that because of some misunderstanding between men of God, that doesn't make the scriptures not clear. They're both not right. And if they're honest and they're not sinning, they'll have to say, this is what I believe is true. Right? But if someone says dogmatically, this is the case, and another man of God says, this is the case, one of them's wrong. Right? What? Or both. Good point. All right, practical conclusions then regarding the clarity of Scripture. First of all, the Scriptures must be central in Christian guidance and all aspects of life. There's not any question. The Scriptures must be central in guidance to all aspects of Christian life. We have to go to the Scriptures first. It's not just whatever we want it to be. The Scriptures have to be central. Also, we're shown how to live our lives in a God-pleasing fashion by the wisdom and teaching of the Scriptures. Clearly stated to us, claiming ignorance is purposefully ignorant. The scriptures tell us how to live. The only time we claim ignorance is when we're trying to justify ourselves. Can we be honest with that? Look, you know, how far do you have to go in the scriptures to have a very clear explanation of how you're to live? Not very far. And I'm not even just talking about the Ten Commandments, which that's a great place to start right there. Right? Both relationships that Christ summed up are in the Ten Commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. How about the Beatitudes? Did not did Christ lay out really clearly to all those people and to us how to live? Very clearly. The scriptures tell us that. Now we could say, well, I'm not sure if I actually have to if we have to do that. I mean, you know, be careful. Scriptures aren't suggestions for how to live. They're commands for how to live. They're not suggestions, they're commands. Now, if you say, well, yeah, but should I spend four hours cutting a tree or should I spend 12 hours cutting a tree? No, it doesn't tell you that. However, if you're making a choice between cutting a tree and providing food for the table, 
it speaks to that. If you're making a decision between cutting a tree and reading God's word, it speaks to that too. Yeah, but the tree needs cut. Really? Over God's word? This is tough, right? Because every one of you know that it's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to force yourself to take time to do things we're supposed to do when there's so many things that we think we need to do. Right? That's it's true. But we're still commanded to do it either way. It's not like, oh, here's some good ideas for what you could do to how to live. I don't think there's any place in Scripture that it says that. Some good ideas. The Bible isn't an idea book. Right? Psalm 19, 7 and 19, 130 are two passages that are in the footnote for this paragraph. I'll read those. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The entrance, Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Now, both cases, when they're using the word simple, they're talking about people that are mentally deficient. They're not as smart as others. Now, I'm not talking about retarded. But that was what they referred to, those people too, as simple or as dumb. That's the words they used. Right? Today it's politically incorrect to say any of those words. But that's who they were talking about. People that just weren't that sharp. They weren't that smart. That's what we're talking about. And this is saying, look, the scriptures are clear enough for those people too. The scriptures are clear enough for them. It even makes those people wise if they read the scripture and they understand the scripture because it's enough for that they can understand it. It makes them wise in the things of God. That's how clear the scriptures are. We must understand this. It is not good enough for us to say, well, I don't understand those things of Scripture. Okay, well, you do understand what God wants you to understand. And basically, all the instructions that you need for how to live your life are clear. There isn't any questions. The only thing that happens is that we want to discount some of those things, and we can even say that they're unclear because we don't like it. So there's a former member of this church who's down the road now, a female pastor of a church in M.L.A. City, who now says that those passages of Scripture which clearly show male leadership in the church, that's not what they say. Not what they say. Why? She doesn't want it to mean that. And neither do the people that are in that church want it to mean that. They want it to mean what they want it to mean. So they take what's very obvious and simple and twist it. Are the scriptures clear? Couldn't be more clear. There's, not, there's no question. This is not a passage that Peter is talking about when he says that Paul's writing some things are confusing. There's no question about the clarity of male headship in the church and specific commands about who is to be leading and who is not. Very clear. And this is just an example. The scriptures do tell us what to do on Sunday on a seventh day, a day of rest. They do tell us that. What we want to do is find an excuse that the ox is in the ditch. It's true. 
Do you know what the Bible says about why you're not to work on the Sabbath? Well, there's only a few real key points, and they're easy for everyone to understand and read. Because God said to rest on the seventh day. Man is not to worship work. You're to take a day for God. Anybody else ever work on Sunday? You don't have to raise your hands like me. But I know most of you have. Why? Because you justified it. And then if you step back, you look at it and you say, <laughs> and you ignore it. Why? You don't want to feel guilty. That's just another example. We do it all the time. We shouldn't, but we do. Somebody can look at it very easily and read it. Look, I've seen unbelievers make arguments, <laughs> make arguments with Christians because they say, look, you don't even follow the Sabbath. The Bible says you're supposed to rest seven days a week. God did it in creation. You're supposed to do it too. And you don't do that. I've heard that in a debate from an unbeliever. They understand it. They understood it. It's not like it's a... They understood it. That's what the Bible says. Did we feign ignorance? Come on. Not necessarily we want to end the class. <laughs> on the feelings of guilt. However, let's be encouraged. Next week, if you haven't read it yet, you need to read paragraph 8. There are um, a lot of footnotes in paragraph 8. Uh, there's scripture footnotes throughout the paragraph. Um, and I will tell you that if you were to read through... Uh, now you should read them all. We're not going to cover them all next week. So we're, we're probably only going to go... Through footnote 16. So, well, depending on what kind of... So some versions of the confession that you have may start like every paragraph starts with footnote 1, 2, 3, 4. And then some of them have like all the footnotes in the par in the chapter. So like the one that I use where it has like uh, 13, that's for the chapter. So this chapter actually had like two footnotes in it. The next chapter has six footnotes, right? So if you read through the... Fourth footnote, that's as far as we'll get for sure next week. I mean, if you looked up the scripture references. If you have the time, read the paragraph and read all the scripture references that are there, and that, that'll help you. But if you don't, read through the fourth footnote of scriptures. Not that many scriptures in the footnotes, so don't be too daunted by that. And the passages in these footnotes are not that long. They are um, shorter. So we'll have a lot more scriptures that I'll read to you in class also. But that will be our goal for next week. Let's close in a word of prayer.